Welcome to the Unconventional Path, entrepreneurship and innovation stories and ideas. Hi, I'm Bala Musitz, coming to you from upstate New York. I am a former three-time entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and business school professor. And I'm Mike Wasserman, professor of international management at the Münster University of Applied Sciences in Münster, Germany. Thanks for joining us today. When Bela and I were both on the faculty at Clarkson University, we would have lots of interesting conversations about how two of our favorite topics, innovation and entrepreneurship, are constantly evolving. We do this over coffee or lunch as time allowed. But about two years ago, I moved to Germany and a little later, Bela retired. But Bela had this idea to continue these conversations in the form of a podcast. I thought this was a ridiculous idea. I'm not a podcast guy. I don't like the way my voice sounds. And I was really skeptical. Uh, but we've now done over 70 episodes and we've had a blast, haven't we, Bela? Boy, we sure have, Mike. Uh, and we invite our listeners to join us each week as we talk with interesting entrepreneurs to share their stories and ideas. Our goal is to bring you individuals who have taken the unconventional path to find happiness in life and at work. One of the key elements of this podcast is to interview business founders we can all identify with. Our guests have included coffee roasters, software developers, business consultants, and restaurant owners. We want their stories to inspire you to say, hey, I can do that, and then just maybe give you the push to start your own entrepreneurial adventure. And today we had an ocean sailor to that list, Bela, which I'm excited about. But before we begin, we'd like to share with you that our podcast is brought to you in part by the law firm of Phillips Lytle LLP. This is a sponsorship that makes a lot of sense to us. Bela, you know this firm well, don't you? I sure do. I have worked with the key entrepreneurship partners at Phillips Lytle for over 20 years. Their attorneys take an entrepreneurial approach to legal matters and have a long history of success with startups. We thank Phillips Lytle for their support of this podcast and the entrepreneurial community. Today's guest is Andy Schell, founder of 59 North, a company that offers guided trips for people who want to sail long distances across oceans. I have been listening to Andy's podcast since day one, and in many ways, he was the inspiration for me to convince Mike that we should do a podcast, although a bit on a different topic. So let's listen to Andy and the conversation he and I had. Hey, how's it going, Bella? Ah, good morning, Andy. Uh, yes. Morning, uh, morning here. So is that, am I pronouncing your name right? Is it Bella? Uh, it's Bela. Bela. Okay, cool. Thank yeah. you. Th thanks for asking. Yep. Yeah. It's one of those, uh, it's, I'm Hungarian. Okay. And uh, so it's like Bela Fleck, if you ever heard of him. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, and uh, it's Bela is one of those Hungarian names that does not have an English translation. That's cool. Is, so. is it true that Hungarian, the only language that it shares like a root with is Finnish? Is that, a, is that true? Uh, yes, that is true. So uh, it has, uh, I think uh, uh, there are some Finns who uh, came down south for warmer weather. <laughs> and, uh, Smart. They, uh, in, you know, a long, long time ago and helped to establish uh, the language there, yeah. Or had certainly had an influence on it. Yeah, uh, it's weird. I mean, we're so close to, Finnish, uh, to Finland, but the language between Swedish and Finnish, I mean, it couldn't be any more different. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah sometimes it's amazing, right? You're right next door to each other and... Uh, it's different, and other places uh, have a, a, a big impact that are really far away. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I'm, I'm ready to go. If you are, I'm recording on my end. Um, so anytime you're ready, let her roll. Okay, so perfect. Uh, let me just do a quick intro. Hello, listeners. Today, I'm here with Andy Shell, 
who is just a fabulous example of an entrepreneur who has turned his passion into a business. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thanks for having me. Sure. So, Andy, if you are at a social event uh, and uh, you're introducing yourself to someone and they ask you what you do, how do you answer that question? I guess, I mean, I, I guess I... S- I guess I say I'm a, I am own my own business, first of all. Um, and then if people are interested in hearing what that means, then I go into, okay, well, we have a sailing business. And if anybody's interested in that, then, oh, yeah, well, it's, it's ocean sailing. It's this niche sort of thing where we, in a nutshell, we take people on these long-distance ocean passages um, to see what it's like out there in the, in the wilderness. But uh, I think in the, from, a, from a high view, I, I would call myself an entrepreneur, I guess. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, as my mother-in-law would say, uh, really, you can you can make that into a business. Yeah, I'm not sure I'd recommend it. It's it's interesting. I, I mean, this is maybe going deeper than you wanted to right off the bat, but it's been. Um, I'm sort of on a break right now because I'm I'm home in, at my farm in Sweden, and it, I'm just I'm realizing now that I'm sort of off the pressures off a little bit how much I need how much I need a break it's been uh, I read a quote this morning that was something along the lines of be careful what you choose as your profession because it's kind of it's what's going to keep you up at night when you're not supposed to be working and that's a hundred percent true so yeah to answer your question yes it is something I think you can make a business out of anything um, but you know be careful what you wish for I guess is how I feel about it right now yeah yeah so let, let me try to understand how this business works so uh, you, uh, people somehow contact you and say, Hey, I'd like to learn how to sail, uh, offshore, uh, in the ocean. And you, you take them out and uh, give them lessons for a period of time. Yeah. So basically we get, we get three types of customers. I would say, um, we get people that want to do this on their own boat. So they have this dream to go off cruising. Um, you know, the classic cruising dream is sell everything you have, your car, your house, whatever, and move on to a boat and kind of downsize and sail around the world indefinitely. Not necessarily around the world, but sail in the world indefinitely. Um, And those are the kind of people that we get that usually sail with us once because they're either in the process of buying a boat or sometimes they're building a boat or or they're in this transition zone. And first of all, they want to know, A, what is this actually going to be like to to go on a long-distance ocean passage? Uh, And B, is it really for them? The, The smartest people are the ones that book with us before spending a ton of money on their own boat or their own plans because they you know we've had not many because most people that are in the mindset that they think they're going to like this end up liking it but occasionally we get somebody that's like wow i'm really glad i did this i don't need to do that again uh and then our second type of customer is sort of the opposite of that it's they're usually men and they're usually occasionally it's 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 women as well that are in this situation where their partner or the rest of their family is not interested in in sailing long distance and they're, they realize that if I want to scratch this itch, I'm going to have to do it with someone else because it's not practical to do it on my own if my family's not inv- fully invested in it. And those are the people that usually sail with us multiple times, sometimes once or twice a year even, um, and they kind of scratch that long-distance sailing itch. And, and then sometimes the third type is like a family that is interested in sailing but knows what it takes to get a boat outfitted to go on these long-distance ocean passages and that they don't want to do that. So they keep a coastal cruiser somewhere, and then they come with us um, now and then to sort of scratch that itch as a, as a compromise, so to speak. Um, and yeah. and where, where they come from 
you know, this all started with my podcast back in 2013, and I guess I've done a pretty good job of creating the excitement around this. And that's wh- that's where most of the, that's how most of the people find us is through the podcast that I host, where I, I interview other sailors that I want to learn from. Right, right. So I've been a longtime listener of your podcast. Uh, I think yours is one of the early podcasts that got me hooked on listening to podcasts, and in many ways inspired me to to start this one. So I yeah, thank it's you great. For that. I- I'm glad you started it because I think we had an email conversation about, oh, I always thought it would be cool to do a, uh, just a straight up entrepreneurship podcast, but I never just, I never took the time to do it. So uh, I'm glad that you, uh, that you got inspired and decided to do that because this is something I was interested in. I, I'm going to have to go back and listen to yours now because uh, it's something I'm interested in just in general. Yeah. Well, well, thanks. Uh, so as you were telling me about your customers, it got me to thinking about, so you're going out and you're, you're sailing uh, hundreds or uh, maybe a thousand or two miles uh, in the ocean. And so the people that are with you, uh, it's sort of important that, you know, they're, they're not going to, on th- on day three, say, get me off of this boat, I'm going nuts, uh, or that they have the right skill level, because you're all sort of dependent upon each other. So how do you sort of, I'll use the word pick or select your customers? Yeah, well, thankfully we don't really have to. Um, it's sort of self-selecting for whatever reason, and and you know if I'm feeling good about myself, I say, well, I guess we have we've done a good job with our marketing that it's sort of self-screening where we try to not lower expectations, but basically set realistic expectations that this is an adventure. It's not a it's not a cruise. You're it's a working trip. It's you know all this. It's it's the real thing. It's it's a, it's an authentic experience, um, and. Thankfully, most people that come into it, like I said before, they may have never been offshore, but they understand they understand philosophically what they think they're getting into, and they have the right mindset for it. And funnily enough, um, I forget who came up with this, but you know, most of our people come as individuals, not as a group or with a friend or whatever. So we have a, a frequently asked questions section on our website, and the first one says, "How can you be sure I'm going to get along with everybody else?" And the answer, it's, it's a joke, but it's true. It's because you have to. Um, so right. you, so going in, I think you got to have people, for whatever reason, maybe because of that you know, expectations thing, have this idea that they have to get along with everyone. And it's not just a, it's, it's, not, it's not by accident that people get along with each other. It's, a, it's part of how we have to be as leaders on the boat in kind of creating that team building atmosphere. But it's also setting the expectations up front that you might not, like the you might not ever see or talk to this person ashore but for the week or two that we're at sea they're they're all you got and you got to be able to lean on on everybody and i would say further to that like the most important the most important aspect of a crew member that i want is not i don't care about experience because i'm confident in my own ability that i can teach people i can teach people the way i like to do things um so i want somebody that is humble enough to ask questions and be not think they have all the answers. The, the most dangerous type of crew member, and we've had a handful of these, um, thankfully not not more than a handful, where you get somebody that thinks they know what they're doing, but actually doesn't. And that's where it's, that's where it's dangerous, because they can do things without asking, because they think they know the right answer, and then they break the boat or hurt somebody else or, or worse. So, um, so th- that sort of humility and the, the confidence, I guess, to ask questions is what I look for most in a, in a good crew member. Yeah. 
Yeah, excellent. So let's go back. Let's go back to Andy Shell as a young lad. Uh, if I remember from listening to some of your podcast, uh, you went to uh, Penn State and you went there to sort of play golf. Yeah, I actually started university. My first semester was down in uh, Myrtle Beach in a place called Coastal Carolina, the Chanticleers, and they had uh, they had this PGA professional program down there. It was like the there's like a at the time anyway there was about a dozen schools in the country that had a partnership with the PGA of America, where you would get a college degree, usually related to business or tourism or something like that, um, combined with your PGA professional card. So not not like a touring pro, but a but a teaching pro to teach at a PGA accredited facility or or run a PGA accredited facility. Um, so I started down there cause I was really into the golf thing and I, I didn't like, it was, I, I'm from Pennsylvania and it was like eight hours drive away. And I realized, um, that I, I was, it was sort of thrust out of pixie land, so to speak. And I didn't like being away from home. Um, and I didn't like the school that much, but I think that was just an excuse for, I, I was just, I was homesick and I wasn't comfortable down there. So a couple of my best friends from high school were at Penn State, and I had no intention of going to Penn State whatsoever. In fact, growing up, being from Pennsylvania and surrounded by that sort of Penn State football fandom, I just, I, I hated it. I hated that whole scene. I didn't want anything to do with it. And then I went up to Penn State Thanksgiving break of my freshman year when I wasn't happy down at Coastal, and I was with my best friends, and I was like, all right, this is stupid. I'll just come here. And I had, I had applied to Penn State, so I already had gotten accepted, so it was an easy an easy transfer. So my second semester, right after Christmas, I left Coastal and I wound up at Penn State, who also happened to have this same golf program. And uh, that's that's kind of how I got started in college. But man, that feels like a lifetime ago now. <laughs> and so you made this transition from from golf to something else. And so talk about that. How did how did that happen? Um. I, you know, looking back on it from from a distance now, I don't think it would have mattered what I went to college for. Um, I'm grateful for the college experience. Like, I think that was a big part of that. Actually, sort of sparked my travel bug. That because when I went to college, I I did a my summer summer after my freshman year, I went to Costa Rica for a month to do this volunteer thing, and that was the first time I'd traveled abroad by myself. And I always knew I wanted to do a, a semester abroad, and I wound up in Australia my junior year. But I bounced around like after after the golf. I did the golf thing for a year, and I realized, nah, this isn't really for me. It's it requires too much dedication to to maintain the playing level and the school, you know, the academic stuff behind it. I just I didn't have enough passion for it to to continue it. And then I kind of I changed majors to history for a little bit. I even majored in um, international German and international business for a time. I think I changed like six different times, and I wound up sort of by default back in the recreation parks and tourism management department with a major in commercial tourism, which is appropriate now in hindsight. But the only reason I wound up in that is because I was offered a spot in the Schreier Honors College, but I had to be in that. Like, I guess they allocated so many spots to different colleges within Penn State. And they said, well, if you if you stay in tourism, you can get a spot in Schreier. And that kind of make Schreier was a pretty prestigious um, part of Penn State. And it allowed me to sort of decide what I wanted to pick class-wise on my my senior year. You kind of wrote a a senior thesis that you could be very flexible in. So it gave me some flexibility to just explore whatever I felt like studying as opposed to being rigid in the the tourism program. Um, And, but but where I was going with this, it wouldn't have mattered. I, I, I think my 
path would have wound up here anyway because I'm the kind of person that I can't I can't find the motivation to work on something unless I'm 100% believe in it. And that's a downfall sometimes cuz it means that sometimes when I want to break like right now I can't help myself but to work on stuff. So I think um I don't I don't know how much the Penn State experience or my college experience really dictated where I'd where I'd end up sort of in the bigger picture, but it was a nice way to get to where I'm I'm going, I guess. Yeah. Uh, if that <coughs> was, makes sense. Yeah, sure. Was was there a was there a kind of moment in in your life where you sort of had this this vision of clarity that says this is what I want to do. I want to do something in the sailing industry or I want to have my own boat. I want to take people out. I think the, the when you say that the very first thing that comes to mind, I don't think I realized it at the time, but when I was a teenager, I mean, I grew up sailing on my parents, my mom and dad's boats and we we'd do these father-son sailing trips in the summer ever since I was 5 years old. And I remember my dad telling me that I wasn't really that interested in the actual like art of sailing the boat. Like we'd go on these trips on the Chesapeake, and when we went went, went to the Bahamas when I was nine, um, they took us out of school for a year. And I remember really enjoying the traveling part of it, but I don't recall ever being that interested in like sail trim and all this stuff. But then I do recall uh, when I was a teenager, I got interested in wanting to dock the boat, and I was like, "Hey, Dad!" And what, at the time, we had a forty-two foot catch, which was a pretty big pretty big boat. And I, and my dad would let me bring it in and out of the dock in, um, Rock Hall, Maryland, where we kept it. And I, I guess that's kind of the first time where I realized like, wow, like this is, this is really cool to be able to operate my own boat. And I think even from then, I, I just thought like, this is something I wanted to do. But even back in high school, I did a project with my dad on like, I mean, I'm from countryside Pennsylvania there was sailing was not on the top of anybody's mind people had no idea what it was but I did this high school project on like knot tying and navigation and stuff like that and I think that's just what I was like most interested in you know I had the Lego pirate ship when I was a kid I got it for my birthday when I was 10 so like I think that I think just behind all the other experiences I had in my life the 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 one constant was always being around boats um and I, I just think it sort of was was baked in and I, I don't I don't think there was like a epiphany where it was like I'm gonna set up a business doing this but it just was always there in the background that I just kind of felt almost felt like this is just this is like instinctually this is the right way to go yes yes so you also took a trip to Australia uh that part of the world that really changed your life uh so what was sort of the the motivation for doing that and uh how did that turn out well, there were two trips. The Australia one was I did a semester abroad at Penn State, and um, I don't know if that was life changing at the time or if it was just like if it, it felt like I did it more for fun. It was kind of I was studying tourism. I w- it was not very difficult subject matter for me. I set up my classes so I could do class two or three days a week and had the rest of the time off. So that was really a a pro a six month vacation in Australia and uh, and if it, and it was fun it was neat seeing you know but but even Australia like it's it's not that exotic it's English speaking it's similar different culture but still it wasn't I wasn't that much out of my element so that really felt more like a a vacation than anything else um, but the the real life changing trip actually came right after I graduated where I knew when I went to Australia in college I stopped in New Zealand on the way there and and traveled for two weeks. And I was like, wow, this is, I really like it here. This is great. I need to go back to New Zealand. So I did that after I graduated college and before I started working for real. Um, 
And I had a job lined up. I just said, hey, I need to go do this backpacking trip before I start real life. And they let me, um, it was at the Woodwind, they let me take two months before I started. And anyway, that trip is where I met Mia, who's now my wife. And uh, that that was the truly, you know, from that trip, I met my wife and I met two of my best friends uh, that still to this day are, are, you know, 15 years later, 13 years later are, are my best friends. And that was really where I felt like I found myself in the world, so to speak. Um, and I don't really, I, I think when you travel, particularly by yourself, you can be whoever you want to be. And there's no like, you know, I... I I grew up in high school and I was I was a very different person in on that trip than I was in high school and I think part of it was because I was able to just be truly be myself not whoever I wanted to be but like I didn't have to pretend to be anybody else like I think I did in high school a bit if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you a question cuz cuz you know I've listened to your podcast I think every one of them um and Sometimes I I find you to be a very intriguing and sort of philosophical person. And, um, you know, I do a little bit of sailing. Uh, I've I've done a small handful of overnight passages. So I've experienced the wonderment of, you know, sitting up in the cockpit at 2 a.m. in the morning and just sort of absorbing everything that's around you. And sometimes your mind thinks about stuff. And so one of the questions I had for you was we make decisions in life. And, and, you know, opportunities present themselves to us and sometimes we act on them and sometimes we don't. Do you sort of have a philosophy about that? Yes. I mean, I, you went, you went, yeah, you went to New Zealand, right? You, you sort of, you sort of met this person, right? You decided to further that relationship. And, and, you know, those are all sort of sometimes at the moment, very minor little decisions, but they have a huge impact on your life. Yeah. And I, I do have a philosophy on that. And it, this actually, I have a story that just very recently sort of reinforced my philosophy on this, which I'll share in a second. But um, to start this out, I, I mean, this all comes from my mom. Everything I'm about to say is entirely from my mom, who was the philosopher in the family who, as you know from listening to the podcast, passed away in 2012. She died of brain cancer. Um, but she had written me a note on that first trip that I went to New Zealand before I left, and I kept in my backpack, and I found it a couple years ago, you know, when we were in the process of moving our stuff from the U.S. to Sweden, I found this note that she had written, and, and one of the lines in the note said, hold fast to your dreams. And hold fast is, a, is an old, old school, you know, sailor tradition. And I just thought that was really cool that she had written that hold fast to your dreams. And it, after she died, I had uh, my tattoo artist in Sweden took her handwriting and created a tattoo out of that that I have on my wrist that's drawn in such a way that when I hold my arm up, I can read it. I'm looking at it right now. And I think the bigger picture of that with my philosophy is just always follow your gut. Like I don't think, and this is where, when I said before about that, the, the boating stuff, just being in the background, like you, I, ju- I just, if, if I, if I have an overarching philosophy, it is trust your feelings. And I'm a very emotional person. Um, and I get that from my mom as well, but that, that emotion and that gut feeling has always has always for better or worse dictated how i make my decisions and when i say worse i mean the the i would say the worst decisions i've made were ones that went against my gut in the name of like rationality or logic because it's not always 
logical or rational why why you have a gut feeling one way or another. But I've learned, and the story I'm going to tell now, most recently to reinforce that, we were just uh, just came coming back from Guadalupe, um, leaving leaving Ice Bear. So Mia and I um, were coming home and not going back to the boat for a while because Mia's pregnant and we're she's due to have a baby in May, and that's like a big new part of my life. But uh, anyway, we were getting ready to leave, and like 10 days before we were supposed to leave, Mia fell on the boat and badly sprained her ankle. And we spent the day in the hospital, thought it was broken. It turns out it wasn't. But long story short, we were supposed to fly out on a Thursday, or on a Wednesday, and she had a doctor's appointment that Monday, a follow-up on her ankle, and it was still really swollen, and the doctor didn't want her to fly. And he's like, I want to see you again Thursday. And we were supposed to fly out Wednesday. So I was like, crap. And I, we were supposed to teach a, a course in Annapolis that weekend. And we had planned this all, you know, months before and thought we were real smart about being efficient. And okay, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up the boat there. We'll fly home to Annapolis, do this workshop, spend a week with our family, and then fly home to Sweden. And then we'll stay there till the baby's born. So when her ankle got hurt and the doctor wouldn't let her fly, it's like all of a sudden, well, crap, this throws a monkey wrench in our plans. And logically, we had friends in Guadalupe. There was no reason that I couldn't go home without Mia, that I was just, you know, I, I can go home, do the workshop. She can stay with friends that were on a different boat, Ryan and Sophie, and and go to as many doctor's appointments as she needed. There was no reason for her to have to go home, and it w- would have worked out fine. So that's what we said we'd do. And, but, I, but I had this strong feeling that, like, I need to stay here, not for Mia at all, because she's like the strongest person I know. She would have would have been completely fine. It was more for me. I felt mm. this emotional connection that like I need to be here for myself. Like I can't just just philosophically. I didn't. It wasn't sitting right with me. And there's no other need, no other no other explanation needed besides that. I had a bad gut feeling. So I go to the airport and I go through security and I'm sitting there. She uh, she dropped me off at the airport and I walk down the jetway to get on the plane i always am like the last person to board a flight and i'm walking down there and i got halfway down the jetway and i was like i can't get on this plane i just cannot get on this plane so i turned around and i went back out and meanwhile we're in guadalupe which is french caribbean no one speaks english i go back out to the desk and the lady's like looking at me like what are you doing and i said i can't get on the flight i tried to explain like you know what the situation was and uh, she said, okay, okay. And, and I had checked the bag, so they wouldn't right. let the plane leave before they got my bag off the plane. And, and I was like so close to just crying my brains out right there. I just couldn't, could barely stand it. And then I got in a taxi, went back to the marina. Mia was there to meet me. And, and then, then I released all this pent-up emotion. But, but the point of this story is halfway down that jetway, I said to myself, you know, God damn it, like if I can't, if I can't practice what I preach of following this gut feeling stuff, then what am I doing? What is the point of all this? And I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm putting my foot down. I have a bad feeling about this. I don't know why. And it doesn't matter. And I stayed and I'm so glad I did. And ultimately we ended up flying out the next day and it was, we did everything we were supposed to do. Nothing got messed up, but that doesn't even matter. It didn't matter if it would have gotten messed up. the, The point is I had such a strong feeling that I couldn't explain and I'm so glad that I followed it because that's been my philosophy all along. And it's like, it just reinforced that, okay, I know how I need to make decisions going forward. And this is, this is it. All right. All right. Well, I'll tell you, <clears throat> I think uh, you're the 76th, uh, will be the 76th episode for my podcast. And I've talked to all entrepreneurs. Um, and I would say that that's a common trait that has yeah. emerged in my conversations, right? Of this. That's cool. 
Yeah, people sort of really taking a lot of of of, uh, of credence and value in their gut feelings and and understanding that that's an important element of their decision making process. Yeah, and you know. I think I think that you also like in order to stick to that philosophy, you have to be willing to accept like the unknown and accept that you might not have like I don't believe in fate or any of this like preordained stuff. I don't I don't believe that either, but I do believe that you, you know, if you have a certain emotional state of mind or whatever that you, you some people are just attuned to like um, I guess instincts that you don't have any rational explanation for, but but sometimes they sometimes they're not like sometimes it doesn't turn out well. You know that could have wound up being that she was Mia was going to be stuck in Guadalupe for another week and we would have had to cancel our workshop and all the other stuff. But if you can accept the the consequences of sticking to that philosophy, I think that's the, that's an important part about it because if you can't accept that, then you then you, you lose sort of the clarity of of that feeling when you do have a, a good gut feeling. I'm not sure if that makes sense, but yeah. Well, I, I also think there's this, there's for, for some individuals, there's this, uh, 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 desire to explore the unknown, uh, and, and sort of not knowing exactly what's around the corner. Right. So, so I, I know that drives me, right. I, I like, I like that notion of, of curiosity of sort of, 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 Okay, I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen if I make this decision, uh, but that to me is part of the excitement of it. Versus, if I walk through that door, I know exactly what's on the other side. And, yeah, and but actually, you I, don't. Like that's that's the secret. Nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Like that's that's the that's that's where the rationality sort of goes out the window. Is I agree with you. Like I like not knowing what's happening, but embracing the unknown, I think, is like nobody knows what's going to happen. So it doesn't matter. Whether you embrace it, embrace the unknown, or embrace the quote known, there actually nobody knows what's going to happen tomorrow anyway. So you might as well embrace the unknown. Exactly right. So you, so you might as well be positive about it as opposed to being fearful about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and having it drive you nuts. Yeah. So, um, so you uh, you met Mia, uh, and then uh, you you uh, had a job, and you you started working in sort of the sailing industry. Uh, and at what point did you say, I want to sort of do this on my own? So there was, um, when I worked for the Woodwind, um, I guess part of my Penn State experience that like directly affected my path going forward was the fact that to graduate with this tourism degree, you had to do a 12-credit internship um, on site somewhere. So that summer... Summer of my senior year is when I got an internship working at the Woodwind, and I was working four days a week as a crew member on the boat, as a deckhand on the boat. And one day a week, it was a small family-run business, so I was doing whatever. Like, I would go to the Sam's Club with the van and stock up on soda for the week. I'd run the dock office. I'd work in the business office, just get it, learning all parts of the business. And that very directly influenced how we run our business today. That was excellent experience for, for doing what we do now. Um, but... They they were the ones that after that after I graduated they hired me and said you can start after your trip to New Zealand and um, so when I got back the boats don't sail in the winter so from February until April I was in the business office and my friends that were deckhands on the boat the previous summer some of them stayed and were working winter maintenance which I had no interest in um, and and I was like oh this is great I get to work in the business office and this is fun I was doing a bunch of marketing stuff. And uh, But then when April came around and they launched the boats, now I was only one day a week on the boat, four days a week in the business office. And I was like, I, this is not 
I'm I'm not cut out for this. I need to be out in the world actually doing stuff. Um, and then I, you know, after a few months I said, can I please have my old deckhand job back? And I, and I did. And, and that was sort of where that was probably the first time I realized like, oh, wait a minute, I could actually probably make a living actually sailing as opposed to working in sailing. So that was kind of the first like, oh yeah, people have captain's licenses and get paid to do this. And that was sort of clarification of this underlying background boating sailing sort of foundation that I had as grown up as a kid it just provided clarity to like oh here's here's a career path to actually do something with that um and that was kind of that was when I decided I'm going to work in the field as opposed to behind a desk somewhere mm-hmm. and that was that was the start of that but then then still that's uh, that's different right then then there's this notion of I'm going to have my own business I'm going to I'm going to buy my own boat I'm going to I'm going to do this, right? And there's not a lot of other models out there. There's not a hundred people who do this that you can then sort of model yourself after. So, when did that? Yeah, well, when did that happen? Also on the woodwind, a friend introduced one of the crew members, Pete, who I worked with, gave me a book by John Kretschmer, who's been a mentor of mine. Um, and his was the model that I copied. Kind of, he wanted to. He he had a boat and took people ocean sailing. And prior to that, he had done a bunch of deliveries. And I. By reading him and and Bernard Moitessier, who's a famous French single-handed sailor from the '60s, um, you know, reading all these old romantic accounts of people crossing oceans on small boats, I I was fascinated with ocean sailing specifically, and we I had never done that growing up when we sailed to the Bahamas, but that was all coastal to get there down down the coast of Florida and across. Um, so I had this fascination of sailing out of sight of land and being at sea, you know, for. 24 seven and, and experiencing that. And I hadn't yet done that. So doing boat deliveries was like the way to kind of get into that world. So while I was working on the woodwind, uh, in the off season, in the fall, I tried to get volunteer as a crew member on anything I could find. And I, and you know, I, I did, I got my foot in the door on a boat that was going from Charleston down to Tortola. So my dad came along on that and that was the first time where I actually got to sail out of sight of land. And I think it was a 10-day trip. And that was like solidified my idea that, whoa, this is a whole different kind of sailing. And this is like really what I want to do. And besides that, I just, I didn't like having, I didn't like being on someone else's schedule just in general. I'm not, I, I like, I like being able to make my own rules and make my own schedule and kind of be in charge of my own life and by being a delivery captain that was sort of halfway between working on the woodwind where I was sailing to their schedule and what we're doing now because you know deliveries were it was feast or famine right you had like everything was last minute it was on a boat you didn't know but once you got the job then it was up to you to get the boat ready and sail from a to b so I liked that part of it I liked I liked the part of it where it wasn't somebody telling me what the schedule was going to be it was me figuring it out but it was also tough because you never knew when the work was going to come and then out of that I think I always and I don't know where it came comes from but I always wanted to have my own boat because of that freedom to do what we're doing now and that kind of just you know I got the experience ocean sailing on these other deliveries and then Mia and I bought our own boat in 2008 and we sailed it to, to Sweden and we deliberately did so because we wanted to have some sort of it was like building a resume, right? We wanted to do this big giant trip that would give us some credibility when we were trying to find deliveries and, and do this other stuff. It's like, oh yeah, we've we've been out there, we did this on our own, um, and we worked hard for it. So that 
that was a big part of this as well, I guess. And I, I, re- I realize as I'm saying this, I'm not giving a very clear answer to that trip, but I don't, I don't, I don't think there was one um, other than that somehow deep down I knew that this is where it was all headed. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, it, it's interesting because, again, some entrepreneurs I talk to sort of, you know, in the shower or in a dream or somewhere have this sort of epiphany that says, okay, this is what I'm going to do, and, and they blaze out on it. And as I listen to you, <clears throat> uh, you're a very successful entrepreneur, but it's been this very uh, deliberate path that has taken you to where you are. And it's, you know, it's it's steps, uh, and, and they're pretty big steps, but but they're not like just one day I, you know, sell the house, sell the car, sell everything, and I go do this, right? I think the, I think the deliberate part of it, though, well, first of all, like it depends on how you, de- how you define success, um, which is another conversation. But the, the deliberate part of it from my end was I never – I'm not a, a traditional entrepreneur in the sense of like here – like let me figure out how, how I can – turn an idea into something that makes money. Like some some entrepreneurs, I have a couple of friends like this who they just doesn't matter what the subject matter is. They right, just right. they just find ways to make make something out of nothing. And and I'm not like that at all. I am just like, all right, I've got a passion for something. How do I turn that passion into something that creates a a, a lifestyle that I would want to do anyway and B a way to afford that lifestyle. So, I think if I hadn't if I hadn't been s- quote unquote successful at setting up what we've done I, I would have done I don't know like I don't I wouldn't it wasn't it was it was forcing the economics into my passion as opposed to as opposed to vice versa finding something that you think will make money and I think ironically that's probably how people become most successful because it's it's truly built on passion as opposed to right trying to exactly. force an idea yeah, exactly. It, it's not, I think for the people who are successful and the people who are happy, it's about the passion and the money is a consequence of that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and like, I think we've always said when we, when we talk about ideas to like grow the business or do more stuff, it's, you know, th- this sounds um, arrogant maybe, but I don't, I don't brainstorm, like when we plan a passage calendar, for example, I'm not thinking about where people might want to go. I'm just thinking about where I want to go. And then I got to convince other people to come with me. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that in the business lingo, I guess it's like, you know, the, the customer doesn't really know what they want. You have to tell them what they want. And that's right. been my attitude. Yes. Yes. So uh, you started with one boat and now recently uh, you added a second boat. And um, so I want to talk about growing the business a little bit. And you know, your podcast, I think, as you mentioned earlier, has played an instrumental role in sort of your marketing, right? It established you as a personality. It established you as an expert in the field. Uh, and, and I can imagine many people who come with you say, I want to go sailing with Andy. I want to go sail with this person. And now that you have two boats, that equation and formula changes a little bit. So how have you found that? And, and how do you think about that? Well, that was the biggest challenge, but you know, my plan all along wasn't well, okay, so to back up a little bit, I was me and I were starting to think like, all right, what do we want to can we this was last I guess twenty eighteen. So we were four seasons into the business with East Bjorn with the first boat. And we said, you know, can we and it you know, we were it was six to nine months on the boat a year away. We were doing it together, so it was a great lifestyle for the two of us, but we started thinking like 
are we going to do this for the next 20 years? Like, is this going to be, is this going to be it? Is this going to be our lifestyle for the next 20 years? And we started to think, well, we're, we have so many other interests and we're so close to family that this being away all the time is, um, is really fun, but it's also difficult in a different, a different sense. And then we started thinking, well, hey, if we were able to build this beyond just the two of us, could we see ourselves running a business just like this from a distance and then being able to sail when we wanted to? And we started thinking like, well, that actually could be, that could be a way forward because I'm still really passionate about the whole business thing. And then I still get to sail when I wanted to. And then the model sort of switched from John Kretschmer's model, which was one boat, one person, that, that sort of larger than life personality to this other guy, Skip Novak, who's also a larger than life personality, but he now has two boats and does runs the business, but is not always on the boats. And he's created this way of exploring the world under sail that, yeah, like if I would sign up to go sailing with Skip Novak, I'm getting that whether or not he's on the boat. So I started thinking about how do I build, how do I build this brand that has all this philosophy that I believe in? How do we trickle that down and and um, and provide that experience without physically being on the boat. And number one, obviously, is is the people that you have to fulfill that. It's 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 a ve- there's a it's a very rare person that can lots of people can sail. It's a very rare person that can sail with such confidence and with su- such ease that they can take a group of novices from different backgrounds and get them safely and enjoyably across an ocean and be uh you know be happy about it <laughs> in the process. So that was really the the biggest thing is we got to get the right people um, that can deliver this and and partly we set this up so that we you know we pay probably twice I mean there's not a lot of businesses that do what we do first of all but we pay sort of twice what the going rate is because if we, if we find the person that we want we want to keep them and that was a big that that's been a big foundation of the business in the first place is getting those right people in place. Right, right. So as you as you expand and <clears throat> grow the business, you add this other boat, you add other other captains who are taking out uh, your clients or customers. Uh, do you, have you sort of built a curriculum around that? And, you know, so sort of here's how we do this. I mean, is this going to be the the Andy and Mia uh, uh, ocean sailing school? No, and and specifically, I don't want it to be a school. I don't want it to be curriculum based because that's not what it's like in the real world. We, you know, when I say we deliver these authentic experiences, it's it's similar to um, there's a friend of ours that runs a business in Iceland called uh, Aurora Arctica, and they have two boats, and they do these ski and sail trips in Iceland and these adventure trips in Greenland and stuff. And you know, you go on a ski trip with them in Iceland, and you might not get any snow. It's just part of the adventure. So every single one of our trips is different because. The weather patterns are different. The seasons are different. The departure and arrival ports are different. Everything's different. So you can't really build a curriculum around that. And and I don't like the word curriculum because that's sort of, you can't plan, you, you have to adapt the way we run these trips. You have to adapt what is thrown at you and you get what you get in the in in reality when you're out there. And instead of creating a curriculum, I would say we've created a philosophy and it's a higher a higher viewpoint of it's it's like how do we want how do we want to run a trip offshore what is most important to us in these sort of things create that philosophy that our skippers and mates buy into and then they can bring their own experiences to that so for example august who is the skipper on eastbjorn now um 
he's from Bergen. He's from Norway. He's got all kinds of high latitude experience. He's been sailing up in Spitsbergen, up in the high Arctic for a long time. And he's got a, a skill set that's very similar to mine, but learned in a different way. So, and we both, you know, we're both very passionate about traditional navigation and seamanship and all this stuff. And that's the high level philosophical stuff that we all have to be on the same page for. But at the detail level, he can run the trips however he wants to. In fact, I want him to do that. My, my ultimate goal would be that somebody can sail with 59 North, say one of these guys that sails with us year after year, and they may want to sail on a different boat with a different skipper each year because each experience they're going to learn something a little bit different because it's not the same curriculum. That's on purpose. Got it. Got it. Very nice. So uh, <clears throat> what has been the... In this journey that you, you've taken, what, what's sort of been the most challenging thing that you've come up against? Being able to relax. <laughs> okay, so that brings up an excellent point, right? So how do you, how do you strike that you know, life-work balance? Particularly when, when, when you're working, it's 24-7 for whatever it is, 7 to 15 days, right? So how do you... How do you sort of get that that downtime and and that and that balance? And you're doing it with Mia, your spouse. Uh, so you know, talk about that a little bit and how you sort of uh, deal with that. Oh, man, you know, I'm still I, I I'm still trying to figure that out because the problem, the way that I've done this from the beginning, it's this sort of a catch twenty two, because I've always said I don't want to work. So how can I create a career that doesn't feel like work? Well, I've I've done that now and I've 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 won that part of the game. But now the challenge is how do I how do I how do I get how do I step out of that? How do I relax because I still don't think of what I do as work. I really really like it. I really like it. I, and I like it to the point where I can't not think about it. And it's it's two it's two parts. It's it's like right now I've got two boats in the Caribbean that are one's on a charter right now with the skipper and the other one's just at the dock in Grenada getting some work done. Well, I'm not there. I have no control over that. I don't know what's happening with it. I, I, I can't keep an eye on it. So I worry about that. That creates this anxiety because I'm not sure what's happening. And that, you know, those are our assets that they're the foundation of everything we do. If something happens to the boat that would delay a trip, that screws up the whole season. So that's like genuinely stressful. But then on the other side of it, you have now that I'm home and away from the boats, I have more time to do whatever. So I can do more creative projects. I can work on the podcast. I can work on the website. I can do all this other stuff that I really enjoy doing. But I find that I can't, I don't know how to turn that off. I, I, I really, I'm really struggling with this, like to the point where, you know, I, 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 gen, I generally am a, I wouldn't say a worrier, but like I think about stuff all the time. I can't turn my brain off. And I just have a really hard time relaxing. And I'm finding now that, I'm able to distract myself. Like I watch, I like to watch movies a lot when I'm home and work out in the yard and I have a gym here on the farm, but it's just temporary, right? I can't, I have a very hard time finding peace when I'm just sitting still and it's not even necessarily a bad thing. It's just, I wish I have this curse now of having figured out a way to make a living without quote unquote working. But now I don't, I don't really, there's, there's no work life balance because those are two, there's the same thing. Work is life and vice versa. So I, I don't, I, I, if I, if, if I figure that out, I'll let you know, but that's where I'm at now. <laughs> yeah. But I, I would submit to you, Andy, that regardless of what you were doing in life, uh, this thing that you just talked about is sort of baked into your personality. 
Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that for sure. Right. For sure. Yeah. You just, that's just the way you are. I, I, I can remember years and years ago when my son, who's now, my older son, who's now 38, uh, we were trying to put him to sleep one night when he's like three or four years old. And he just, he just, he said exactly what you said. He goes, dad, I just can't turn my brain off. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's yeah, for some I think people. My friend Ryan, my friend Ryan Ellison, he um, he's also an entrepreneur, and he's very similar to personality to me. And I've learned a little, a lot of a lot of good stuff from him. But some specific like tools to use to to figure this out. And I'm I'm realizing that like I need to just find some tools and and do them. Almost like you know I, I I'm I'm pretty active in exercising my body. I need to do the same thing for my brain. And uh, one of the things is that Ryan taught me is you know, what did you enjoy doing as a kid? Just do that. And I realized, well, as a kid, I played with Legos a lot and I played video games. So I, I, bought, a play, I bought a PlayStation 4 and I have a whole bunch of Lego sets downstairs. And that's, that's I'm actually finding that's like the best way for me to relax is I'll, I'll sit down at the living room table and I'll build, I'll build a Lego set. And I, I really, I've rediscovered that part of my brain. And weirdly mm-hmm. enough, uh, I was helping my friend with um, with this engineering course thing he's working on and it was a, it was math heavy and i used to really really like math in high school Cal- i loved calculus and i found that like by helping him out with this math stuff that activated a part of my brain that i haven't used in a long time that i really really enjoy i really enjoy the the learning when when my brain is like in learning mode so i think my next step is going to be to buy literally buy a calculus textbook and just sort of relive my junior year of high school and 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 activate that part of my brain to I, I maybe it's just another distraction but it's some way to to get myself to not think about the work stuff and and um and do something different yeah yeah well you know save your legos because soon you will have someone to play legos with exactly yes i have been saving all the boxes and the instructions and everything right right so let me ask you another question have you ever tried meditation yes and that's gosh i i know i know I know that like of all things that could help, that's probably the biggest thing. It's just one of those, it's habits, right? Habits are hard to form and sure. they're hard to change. Yeah. And um, that's, I, I've, I've dabbled with meditation for years on and off, but I've never been able to establish a good habit. And, um, but yeah, that, it's, it's, it's something I think about. Yeah. So uh, on, that, on, on that topic, there's a, <clears throat> if you listen to podcasts, there's a podcast called 10% Happier. Um. That's a, a sort of about meditation. It's not lessons in meditation, but it's sort of, you know, philosophically about how it can help you. If, if that's something you might be interested in listening into, it's one of the ones. Yeah, that's, that's cool. I, I've, I've heard that. I've heard of that. I, I will put that on my list. And yeah. I guess, you know, it's, it's not to say like, I, I am happy. I'm very happy. It's not about the happiness. I know what you mean by like 10% happier. It's, just, it's not, that's not the issue. I'm not, um, not unhappy. It's just, I guess, restless is a better way to yes, put it. Right. Right. It's 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 managing it's managing that restlessness and 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 moving it into to hopefully and which you certainly have done into positive energy, right? Yeah, exactly. And making sure it keeps going positively, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. So Andy, we've been at this uh 45 minutes or so. Uh so I want to wrap it up, respect your time. Um uh first of all, can you uh tell us the name of your podcast? Yeah, well, we've got three now, actually, but the foundational one, the, the first one's called On the Wind, and that's the one that I enjoy doing the most. That's where I interview uh, other sailors and um, and 
people see how they figured out this stuff and see what I could, it, it, like I said, it was for me, first of all, and now just created an audience and now suddenly those people want to sail with us. So yeah, On the Wind is the is the interview show. And then the one I've been working on lately is called How I Think About Sailing. And that's just me talking about some of this philosophical and, and practical stuff behind how I've um, sort of decided to do things specific to sailing. So those are the those are the two of them. And the name of your business, if someone wants to go sailing with you? Yeah, it's called 59 North. So 59 degrees north sailing and 59 North is the latitude of Stockholm, which is we live, we don't live in Stockholm, but we live an hour west of Stockholm. So 59 North is the latitude of the farm that I'm talking to you from. And that's the name of the business. Perfect. Well, I will make sure uh, all three of those are in the show notes so people can find them. Uh, So Andy, is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't? Oh man. Um, no, I feel like we talk. I mean, I guess this is this is me. I feel like we talked mostly philosophical stuff, but I, I think that's that's that, that everything that I do is based on that uh, that sort of thing. And like I said from the beginning, thankfully I've been able to figure out a way to to make a meager income from it and and make a really cool lifestyle. So no, I think uh, I think that covered it. I, I guess I guess one thing we didn't talk about, which I always emphasize, is like the stuff that how much of of success is based on luck and things outside your control the way you were raised your parents i mean i i give full credit to my both my grandparents and my parents and my aunt and uncle for that matter we all grew up on the same property they're all business people they provided a very carefree childhood for me and an opportunity to think bigger than than just you know maintaining your daily needs and that had nothing to do with me. I was very lucky to not have to you know they my parents paid for my college and paid for that trip to Australia and like it sounds you know it's it's easy for me to say oh yeah I was real successful because I did all this stuff. Well, a lot of it was a foundation that I had nothing to do with. And I think you need to recognize that that it's it, you know there's you you got to give credit to that because a lot of my success is is down to the 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 chances that came along the way that had nothing to do with me, if that makes sense. Right, right. Very well said. And and you know those chances that came along, you decided to act on them, and we all stand on the shoulders of the people who came before us. Right. I mean, we all have that privilege. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, this is this has been great. Uh, I appreciate this. It's a, a long time coming, but this was a perfect timing because I've been able to reflect a little bit on this, and the business has been growing. So I. I hope uh, I hope your listeners learned something from it. Uh, uh, it's gonna it's a great podcast. Thank you very much for doing it, Andy. I wish you and Mia uh, success uh, in all the things you undertake uh, in the future, and especially uh, uh, the the impending birth of your child. And uh, that'll be a great great uh, thing in your life for sure. Cool. Thanks again for having me. You betcha. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bela, what a great story Andy had. I mean. At one point, it sounded like it was a little bit nonlinear and he fell into this, but this was really, he's lived a life of carefully crafted experiences, I think, that follow each other naturally. Um, and he's really in a place now in a world that he created um, and enjoying uh, an incredible amount of success. So I think this was a, a really cool story to share with the listeners. Um, specifically, you know, one thing that really struck me was when Andy said that he's, he, his customers self-select. 
So he doesn't have to select customers. His customers find him. And only those that really are passionate and know what they're doing are the ones that actually sign up. So he doesn't have to do a lot of screening. And I thought about this. And, you know, messaging is so important. And Andy has done a great job of communicating. Like you said, he was an early podcaster. Uh, He's written articles in trade magazines. If you look at, like, Sale Magazine and things like that. Um, And his website has an incredible amount of information, which we'll talk about a little later. Is this, though, a hidden secret of small business to really communicate and set expectations and allow your customers to choose themselves? Well, I think it's, it's something that you don't see very often. Uh, and, you know, as I listened to uh, the, Andy uh, describe that, uh, I think he, he really has a sort of a very interesting approach to it. And he's crafted this thing in a way <clears throat> that it does self-select. And you have to remember on these trips, he has a finite number of berths available uh, or cabins available on, on the boat. So as long as demand exceeds supply, right, this sort of works very, very well. And I think he's done a super job in sort of building his career and building his reputation. So you got to remember, he started as sort of, hey, I'm Andy Shell. I have this podcast all about sailing. I write these articles. I've done a lot of ocean sailing. And he built up his credibility to start with. And it wasn't until he had established himself as a credible person in this industry, then he went because prior to that, he worked for other people. Sure, he was delivering listen. boats. He was schlepping boats right. to people, right? This is not glamorous work, right? I mean, it's fun, but it's not glamorous. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And and uh, so he built up that credibility. He built up his, his sort of personality within the industry. And then once he had that groundwork laid, he then bought his first boat. And then he, he started this business, right? So if you think about it, it's very sort of well thought out well-planned, and, and maybe to Andy at the time it didn't seem that way, but if you reflect back on it, it, it really is, uh, I think, superb. The other thing that I'll, I'll say is here's an example of, I think, a, an individual who absolutely created something out of nothing, right? He didn't, he didn't start in the sailing industry. He didn't get a college degree in sailing and then got hired and started working for a large company. Right, he he sort of built this from nothing, and I think that's another real true example of pure entrepreneurship. And I've always admired Andy as sort of being a pure entrepreneur. That's cool. I totally agree, Bela. Let's look at the next phase of kind of his career and his growth strategy. What were your thoughts about how Andy's grown, trying to grow the business, right, from one person in a boat to? A, a company that has a clear theme and there's multiple boats now and it's not just all about him. Yeah. So I thought, you know, when he did that, I said, oh boy, this is going to be interesting because I followed along listening to his podcast, right? He talks about that. And he said he's going to buy a second boat. And I'm thinking to myself, oh gosh, you know, uh, when I ever thought about uh, doing this, I'd say, I want to go sailing with Andy. That That's the whole idea. He's the personality. He's the person you want to be with on the boat. And, and uh, you know, I asked him that question, too, in, during the interview. So you, you heard his response. Mm-hmm. But, but here again, he's done a great job at that. He has, he has gotten other known personalities within the industry to join him. And, and he has done a superb job in sort of talking about, hey, listen, what you're really signing up for is an experience. And these people, these other captains who will take you out, uh, can give you the same type of experience 
And actually, a, a bunch of those folks have a lot more experience than Andy do. <laughs> mm-hmm. They've crossed oceans many more times than Andy. And, and so he hasn't, he hasn't been afraid to bring people into his organization that actually have a lot more experience uh, than he has. And, and some of those folks were personalities long before Andy was a personality in the industry. Uh, so I think he's, he's, done a, he's done a real clever job in, 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 in sort of tackling that potential challenge that one might have in a business when you expand. Now, he also did talk about that his role has sort of changed, right? His, his role has changed from, gee, I'm just managing one boat and it's, it's my, my wife, Mia, and I. And we're doing everything to now I got other people taking boats out. And, you know, so his sort of worries and the things that he has to focus on has also made a transition. And, and that's another great lesson for entrepreneurs, because in any business, as you go from yourself or yourself and one, other, one or two other people to five or six or 10 people, all of a sudden your role changes. And, and there's not a lot of people who are successful in making that transition. Yeah, I agree. And I think the the key that you mentioned, Bela, that's worth, I think, highlighting a little bit is that this isn't just a growth strategy. It was also a pivot. It wasn't just a natural, oh, I'll add locations, right? Like companies add more stores or company adds more sales outlets or companies add a new product line, okay? This was a pivot in how he does business and how the business is represented to, co- uh, to, to customers. So I think that's really the key is you really thought about this as a pivot um, and moving from a company about me to a company about experiences and, and that. And the second piece is, and I think somebody else taught me this, but don't be afraid to hire people better than you, right? In fact, you should seek that out. And if you look at the website um, that that he has um, and you look at the people that are involved, he surrounded himself with great people. And and Andy said, oh, I pay them double and I, right, I really want to make them part of this. And I think that's really cool. So he's very quick on his website to give the team credit. And he, as he said, he compensates them well. And that's kind of the key. And it looks to me like that's a, he's built a human capital strategy kind of around, um, around growing these personalities like him. So he's built his own personality up, but I think he's also helping others around him gain that kind of voice and that kind of um, renown in, in this, in right. this niche space. Right. Right. And, and as you're saying that, you know, the pivot, another uh, an element of the pivot is the pivot has gone from Andy Shell the personality to 59 North being the brand right so Andy Shell was sort of the brand for a while the solo brand and now he's slowly migrating that into 59 North being the brand yep this is a great i think a great lesson for anybody who's thinking about starting a business and especially if it's something that relies on you as the founder to you, this is a great model i mean there's lots of prototypes but this is a great prototype to do that growth pivot to make the business more than just about you. And I think, listeners, if you want to check out, I think, this great example of this website that represents this, um, Andy's website, company's website is www.the-59-north.com, 59north.com with a dash in between. And it's a great, great example of, I just think, a superb website that communicates the experience really well. Uh, uh, really, really is very inviting and, and talks about the people you will be with, uh, right? Cause you're, you're, you're going to be on a boat that's not very big, right? It's smaller than your house. You're going to be on there with five or six other people for like five to 10 days. 
So, you know, some people will have some anxiety about that. Uh, in dangerous and, and, conditions, too. Your life, it's not just, <laughs> I got to get along with this person. I'm sharing a bathroom with them. It's like your life's dependent on them. If they screw up, you're in trouble, you know? Right. Right. Exactly. So I think he does it. He, he attacks that problem really well on his website. And, and uh, it's just a great example of a, of a well-done website for a small business um, that I think uh, checks all the boxes uh, as I think about them. Yeah, I think I'm going to add this to my toolkit for, for my, my entrepreneurship class next semester is to use it as an example of, a, of this idea of kind of growing your business beyond you, right, to, 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 to this right. kind of pivot slash growth model is, is, is a really great example. Yeah, and, and let me just say one other thing about that. You know, th- th- you see a lot of businesses that are 100% dependent upon the founder or the entrepreneur. And uh, something happens to the entrepreneur or the founder, the business is gone. Fundamentally, all of the value is in that individual. And I would say two or three years ago, that was true of Andy's business. Uh, But now he's made this important and successful transition to making it not just about him, but you know, he, he's going to have a child. So that was another forcing function that sort of said, gee, I got to change my role here because it's not going to work. And, and you know, I know they wanted to have a family for a while. So, okay, we got to tackle this problem. How are we going to do it? And, and, you know, he's come up with a great, great way of doing it. But it's also a lesson that other entrepreneurs can draw from to say, you got to be careful. If you make it just about you, then as, and if something happens to you, you don't have a business. It's high risk. And, and the value of the business goes away. I mean, if you ever want to walk away, think about exit strategies, right? If the business is all about you and you want to exit, the business isn't worth very much to somebody else. But if you grow a business that's not all about you, that there's a value proposition that's there, there's resources in terms of your team, your human capital, the physical assets, um, right? You have a well-defined set of customer segments. Now you've got a business model that's saleable. Um, so it's not, I mean, I totally agree that there's this risk that if you get hit by a bus, right, the business is kaput, but, um, but it's really creating a business that's valuable for somebody else to buy or acquire. Right. Um, is, it's really got to be more than about, about the founder. Yeah. Hey, Mike, one other, one other quick thing I want to ask you uh, before we wrap this up. So, you know, you look at a, a business like Andy has and, and it, and you're pretty envious. You could say, wow, you know, his passion is his business, uh, and he sort of lives it every day. And then that strikes to, the, to this question of, of life-work balance, right? When your life is your work, how do you strike that balance? And uh, how, do, how do you uh, sort of uh, think about that? It's an interesting question, Bela. And I will tell you that the answer to this question for me has changed in the last two years. So I think I am as far away from Andy as one could possibly be on all personality traits. I'm the last person to do an ocean sail. I'm the last person to take risks. I'm the last, I don't like to be cold, you know, all these things, right? Um, but one thing that I share is that I kind of dreamed up this career for myself a long time ago, not really knowing what I was getting myself into, but I like to think of myself and maybe this, I'm, I'm fooling myself, but I like to think of, I love what I do so much in terms of teaching and doing research and helping companies and helping students that this to me is like my dream job. And I really also feel that my work and my life are somewhat mixed. I also um, am married to a a wonderful human, Sandy, and she is in the same business. So we kind of share this. Um, And so the difference between work and life has always been um, kind of a, a blurry line for me. Um, but moving to Germany, 
there's much more clarity. There's a much clearer line than in the United States between work and life. You can see it in in how people spend their free time. You can see it in how many hours. If you look at the data on how many hours people work, if you look at mandated holidays, people tend to take all of their vacation time and you're foolish if you don't. If you're a little bit sick, you don't go to work, right? You're expected to stay home. Um, all these things are really a strong part of the culture here in Germany. Um, so it's changed a little bit about how I have work-life balance and trying to help to draw some clear boundaries because it creates problems in all honesty. If I'm working all the time and I'm answering student emails at two in the morning, like I used to do in the U S on Saturdays and Sundays and holidays. And I always answer my email on vacation, um, which is, I think both you and I always have done that, right? Um, very responsive. Um, but my colleagues here get a little mad because they're following the cultural norms and I'm making them look bad. So they, my colleagues are great and they're very patient with me as somebody who's learning a new culture um, that they explain these things to me. Don't do this and try not to do this. And this is a bad thing to do, even though it was good in the U.S. Um, so I've had to adapt. So I have had to turn my email off on the weekends and I wait until the morning to respond. And when I go on vacation, I go on vacation, not half and half. Uh, not always. I'm still working on that one, honestly. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Sandy. Um, I'm doing my best. My wife much prefers if I don't work on vacation. But um, so that's an interesting. It's an interesting thing. And some of work-life balance issues I've learned from my experience in living and working in a different country depends on the culture you live in. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting that that Andy said, you know, he, he he's 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 dusted off his Legos, <laughs> and yeah, and he he has figured out for him what the sort of what what the things he can do that sort of shut out his work for a period of time, right? And we all need that. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it's running, mm-hmm. right? Has been running for a long time, uh, and and so Andy found some things that work for him. And so there's an important lesson there that we all sort of figure out what that is for us, and and we and we keep our our mental health and well being well balanced as uh, you know a couple of podcasts ago we had, we had a whole podcast about this practically mm-hmm. uh, yeah and you and i have talked guests. about meditation a bunch of times we're both big advocates of that and it was a nice yeah. you tried to push them a little bit but it's not for everybody right but right. you gotta have something and you gotta learn what works for you you know right. and i think that's a great takeaway from this uh no matter how hard driving you are and how culturally kind of this is my culture and i'm gonna do it and make it work your mental health is your most critical resource you know, I really, I really, th- well, I don't know. Can you separate out physical and mental health? Maybe not. But the two of those together, if you don't have that, you don't have anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they're related too. Mm-hmm. So time to wrap this up, Mike. Sure. So takeaways today, I think. Um, one is it's incredibly powerful to design a business around what you love to do. And today your interview with Andy is just a testament to that. It's important to have a tightly focused customer niche to really understand your segments like Andy did. Uh, or does, to create a brand with meaning that you can communicate effectively using a variety of channels like Andy has evolved his business into. Um, And the philosophy of the business is sometimes just as important as the operational nuts and bolts. And it was really cool that um, you could talk to Andy a lot and Andy could so clearly state his philosophies about the business and about life uh, and how that's helped drive a successful small business. Uh, It's a great example. I love the quote that Andy's mom wrote that he talked about that he had tattooed in his arm, hold fast to your dreams. And I think that's a really um, cool guiding principle that obviously Andy has taken to heart and, and, and has really built a business around. So it's a great story, Bela. Thanks for doing the interview. Yeah, you're welcome. It was fun.
Yeah, so we're happy, listeners, that you joined us in our podcasting adventure for this week, and we hope you found the last hour as interesting and thought-provoking as we did. Uh, at this point, we'd like to once again thank Philips Lytle LLP for sponsoring our podcast. If you need good, solid advice starting, funding, or selling a business, whether you're a single-person startup or working on a nine-figure exit, Bela and I confident, conf, confidently recommend the attorneys at Philips Lytle. Bela, what's the best way for listeners to get in touch with them? So the person to call is Rich Honan, who's a Philips Lytle partner. And you can call him at 518-618-1225. Or you can reach him via email at rhonan at philipslytle.com. And you can always find his contact information in our show notes, along with all of the contact information uh, for Andy Shell uh, and 59 North. Bela, last question. You going to sign up for a trip? You know, I've thought about it, and uh, I think that uh, I'm good for. I have when I sailed this past summer from Nova Scotia down to uh, Annapolis. Uh, I discovered that I'm three or four overnights is enough for me out in the ocean, <laughs> and Andy takes longer trips. And whereas I know it'll be a great experience, and I'd learn a lot. Um, I have also, uh, I, I'm, I'm very comfortable going, you know, two or three or four nights and that's enough. That's two or three or four nights longer than me, but it's good. You got to know your <laughs> limits, Bela. All right. right. Thanks for joining us this week. If you have questions about what we've discussed, suggestions about topics or potential guests, please do get in touch with us. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. And please do subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. We have lots of great guests in the pipeline. So until next week, signing off from upstate New York. Mike, have a great week. Sounds great, Bela. That's it from over here in Münster, Germany. Bye.